So I was talking with a friend and I was like, oh, we have this idea called the proof, but there's issues around maybe copyright and we might get sued. And he was like, oh, you should call it the pudding because the proof is in the pudding. And I was like, that's the worst name ever. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at NYU in New York City where I do research and teach data visualization. And I'm Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And actually I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. And in this podcast, we talk about data visualization, analysis, and more generally, the role that data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show. That's right. But just before we start, a quick note, our podcast is listener supported. That means there are no ads, which is great. Uh, but that also means if you do enjoy the show, no obligation, <laughs> but if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us. You can do this with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories, or you can also send us one-time donations on paypal.me slash data stories. Exactly. It's always a pleasure when, when a little something goes our way, uh, always brings <laughs> a smile to our faces. Yeah. And thanks everyone to all those who already signed up or donated in the past. That's, yeah, that's very, awesome. very useful. Thanks to you. This show keeps going. <laughs> so let's get started. Today we have a uh, coming back. <laughs> we, <laughs> after I just checked yesterday, after a little bit more than three years, we have once again, Matt Daniels from The Pudding. Hey Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> so, um, can you briefly uh, introduce yourself and uh, briefly explain what the pudding is? Sure. So, uh, again, my name is Matt Daniels, and uh, I'm a journalist at The Pudding, uh, which is a digital publication that primarily publishes visually or data-led essays. Uh, we We generally cover topics that aren't around the news cycle. Uh, so these are things that you might find yourself debating with friends uh, over beers or over coffee. And uh, we try to tell a story that will be just as relevant in a couple of years as it is now. So we're not necessarily trying to find something that's in the news right now. And often we're trying to focus on topics where there is debate and there might be some uh, divisive opinions about a topic. And by bringing in data and by bringing in visuals, we hope we can tell a broader, bigger story uh, than something that is only prose-led. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you do that very successfully. had a huge output over the last <laughs> few years. Uh, before we dive into all the work, quick question. Some, some listeners might, like, might be wondering, like, where does actually the name come from, the pudding? Uh, uh, what's that? Yeah, um, <laughs> so the... The short answer is it's like the saying, the proof is in the pudding, right? Um, <laughs> which is not, which is not everywhere, yeah. uh, but it is in the US. So. Is it a British thing or? Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I don't know the, the, the origin story of <laughs> proof is in the pudding, but the other backstory <laughs> is basically the team was debating names for the site and the publication. And one of the finalists for the names was The Proof. Um, <laughs> so just The Proof. And That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But there, we, we did a lot of research to see if there were other publications called The Proof. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, were, there were a lot out there. I mean, it's a very right. common name. Right. And with yeah. naming, you just Not have to be careful. Not very Googleable and domains and whatnot. True, right? yeah. true. It also has that working against it. So I was talking with a friend and I was like, oh, we have this idea called the proof, but like it, there, there's issues around maybe copyright and we might get sued. 
And he was like, oh, you should call it the pudding because the proof is in the pudding. And I was like, that's the worst <laughs> name ever. Um, Maybe no the proof one would ever call the subsection of the site. Then. I know, I know. We've actually, for for some of the, the mini verticals we've been ex- right. exploring, that, that awesome. name has come up. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we immediately I kind of like recoiled at the name. But then I shared it with the team. And then after another few rounds of finalists, we, we all decided to just go with the pudding. Um, it's very... Memorable, which is nice. It's very yeah. Googleable. Yeah. No one asks about the spelling, which I always hate about names. It's like, wait, how do you spell that? Yeah. Uh, so here we are with the it pudding. It looks funny. It's it's great. I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But now I'm I'm waiting for a long scrolling explainer of the proof is in the pudding. Like, what's the backstory <laughs> yes. of that saying? Like, I, yes. I think that should go on that list. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Project ideas. <laughs> It reminds me of when I was a teenager, we would debate names for creating a band for for days and days. It's a similar feeling. (laughs) So I I think when we interviewed you, I think a little bit more over than three years, the the name was different back then though, right? Polygraph. Yeah. Oh yeah, Polygraph. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. I think, I can't remember when we exactly chatted, but um, since then the team became a lot more formal. Uh, yeah. uh, a lot of the folks who were involved ended up uh, taking a full-time role. So uh, sure. just it's it was just more structure. Um, sure. We took a step back and decided that uh, it made sense from a, a strategy and, and a business perspective to kind of fork the company. So before, it was a bit of a mess where we 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 thought we were primarily an editorial entity, uh, and to keep the lights on, we would essentially ghostwrite editorial for other publications and mm-hmm. other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would produce data led and visually led storytelling um, for someone else, and their name would go on it. Um, so essentially, studio work in that way, and it was the easiest way to to bankroll the company. Um, but then we would do the our own editorial as well, and it became a bit muddied in terms of what. The what polygraph was was it a publication or was it a studio? Mm. Um, and studio. we we found yeah. ourselves having weird conversations around uh, describing the entity. Um, that said, there basically every publication does that. Um, they just start with building the publication, then they go and do the ghostwriting. So if you look at uh, Fox or the New York Times or Quartz, like they're all doing sponsored content. So they they write editorial for clients. Mm. Um, but they 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 built out that publication first, and we were trying to do them in parallel. And a lot of podcast companies do the same model, right? Like Gimlet or so, they have their own produced shows which define their style, and then people book sort of the team, but also the style in a way. Yeah. I mean, people think Gimlet is run by those ads, which it is, <laughs> but, uh, the ads like this is brought to you by Blue mm-hmm. Apron, but, right, right. um, you're right. Like they do podcasts for Microsoft and Whole Foods. Um, and I imagine the margins are just immense on, on producing mm-hmm. that, uh, white label content. Um, but yeah, they, they do that as well. that's how that's their business model. And, uh, but they built, they built the podcast first. Um, that it helps to have venture funding <laughs> to pull that off. Um, we've been bootstrapped the entire time. <laughs> Which you never time. had, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've we've never raised money. Yeah. Um, so we, we have to yeah. we have to break even every year. Uh, mm. we're, well, we have to make more than break even so that sure. if if times are tough, we make payroll. Mm, and uh, so we we've used the studio work to to build a cushion um, on salaries and, and ensure that we're viable for at least six six to twelve months every year. And, uh, but with that, we decided to fork the company. So, uh, we have polygraph, which just does that studio white labeled sponsored content content. And then we have the pudding, which is editorial. Mm -hmm. Um, it is a publication and everyone is split across those two things. Um, in some percentage at, a, at any given time, um, ideally never higher than 50. Um, so you're either 50 to 100% editorial in any moment. And uh, yeah, that's how the, the whole thing runs. Mm-hmm. Very good. So I think in, in the meantime, you develop so many interesting projects and some of them have been wildly successful. So I was thinking about maybe we should start by diving into some of these projects. So how are... Our listeners can get a sense of uh, the type of work that you develop at the pudding. Yeah, let's do it. 
So let's start with, with one of them. Let's start with uh, the Ali Wong piece. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's a nice one. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay, great. So that was from February of 2018. So it's now um, a little over a year old. And uh, that was one of my favorite projects that we've done. Uh, essentially, and it's also a good example of the the work that we do. And uh, it, take, it took a very, very long time to produce. Um, I think it was one of the longest projects that we ended up doing from start to finish. And I guess for the listeners, the main premise of the project is uh, we took a Netflix comedy special by Ali Wong um, and tried to communicate uh, why this special was so successful from a comedy standpoint. Uh, and the way that we we tried to measure that was uh, recording the the length of laughter at any moment during the comedy special. So we went through the whole thing and basically ran a timer when there was audience laughter. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and <Okay>. found <laughs> what we called like the laughter climax, which was the the longest length of, of laughter mm-hmm. during the entire special, which I think was around like minute 50. And then from there, we, we tried to say, okay, this is a really funny moment. Well, why was it so funny? Was it just like a really good one-liner or was there something contextually happening in that moment? Um, And then the whole piece that we ended up publishing was trying to explain that moment, that laughter climax. And uh, our main thesis for the project was it had a lot lot to do with uh, Allie's very talented uh, storytelling chops and how she ended up structuring the entire 50 minutes preceding that moment. And then communicating that visually. So what was happening at each moment of the comedy special? What was she discussing? What story was she building? And what happened at minute 50 from a a narrative perspective that made it so special? Uh, So it's a very weird, nerdy thing for (laughs) comedy. (laughs) But I think it lends itself very well to visual storytelling. Um, It's also not interactive, uh, which I think is pretty rare in the data viz space where all you can do is basically tap. Um, mm. It could easily have been executed as a video, uh, but we went with this, this tapper mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's just, I think we were very surprised by the reception. Um, the time on site is something crazy, like 19 minutes, <laughs> uh, which is, which is not like real, like 19 minutes is not yeah. a real number. Um, you know, people, leave it open in tabs and but it's it's one of the highest we've ever had but on so an article. It's very high. It's like five yeah. minutes is pretty good already. Eight is really really yeah. decent. So nineteen is insane. Yeah. <laughs> so. The real number is probably like seven. Yeah. Um if we like because you know that number is overestimated. But even then, yeah. you know, the average site probably has if you were to look at the real number, it would probably be under 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. People go to a site and they leave. Um then you average it out, you get something like 10 seconds. Uh, but this was extremely high, and um, people have talked about it many times to us. And some people have criticized it. They're like, you can't analyze comedy. Other people were like, this is what we needed for comedy as a, <laughs> as a, as a, a form of art. Mm. Um, it needs that level of analysis and media appreciation. So, I mean, people have done yeah. it for music albums or for screenplays, you know, and, and so, but I, I don't think anybody has done it before f- for a comedy uh, show, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there is a YouTuber uh, named Nerdwriter, who's mm-hmm. one of my favorite people on the internet. And he did a thing on Louis C.K. Uh, that, that said, like, how Louis C.K. tells a joke. Okay. Um, he's also done an, uh, a couple other comedy things as well, but... Ours was probably one of the first I think I've seen that would be more from like the graphics and data journalism mm-hmm. community. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. It's a great piece and very unique. And I think that's, that's generally like your choice of topics on the one hand, but then also how, how you attack a certain topic is, it's always fresh and, and always interesting. And you seem to put a lot of like thought into the general angle uh, there, right? Yeah, I mean, the backstory on that project, uh, which a lot of people find interesting, is uh, we started that project uh, based on a a hypothesis from Russell on the team, 
uh, Russell Goldenberg, and he wanted to dissect jokes and how the flow of jokes happened in in various comedy skits or mm-hmm. comedy routines. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a big fan of Mike Berbigula. I think I'm saying that correctly. And he uh, wanted to look at one of his jokes and just say like, well, he's now talking about cats. Like, how did he get to this topic of cats? Because he was talking about his wife like five minutes ago. Like, how does this story flow in such a way where we're moving from very different points very quickly? Uh, so he headed it up using um, Mike Berbigula's routine as well as nine or ten other comedians. And we went through the transcripts of those routines and mapped out exactly what they were talking about. And then I think we just grabbed the laughter data as a, like, might as well. Um, it wasn't, like, the reason we were we were doing the project. And he ended up making something, and I think, like, personally underwhelmed by the output and (laughs) like got pretty far like he had coded up a lot of charts and i was very excited i get very excited about projects and um i felt like there was something there but i think he had been working on it so long that it wasn't as exciting maybe as when it started so uh he ended up putting it on hold and it kind of just sat in the holding pattern of, oh, I'll come back to it later when I'm feeling uh, inspired. And I thought there was still something there. And then I took a stab at the story. And I was like, well, what if we did this? Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're maybe at like month three of the project. And, and not that he'd been working on it for three months straight, or the team had not been working on it for three months straight, but uh, it, it, it had been becoming a very, like, tired old idea at that point Mm -hmm. um you know a few hours here and there so i took a stab at the story and it was underwhelming i think and then i did another round two of the idea which was around this laughter climax and that was the one that that stuck like we we thought we had something there we thought the the story was interesting enough to tell uh, linearly so it wouldn't be this elaborate interactive which is what he had been planning up to that point mm-hmm. and uh, we just kind of went with it so I took the the storytelling role of mapping out the outline of this of what we were going to say and all the points we were going to make and then he was basically the head of designing code and just basically coded all of the things that I was attempting to communicate to tell the story. Um, <laughs> and when then went above and beyond just even how I was visually imagining it and ended up having these elaborate uh, like half circles that were coming in and out. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just very visually well done um, because he could focus on the presentation layer and I could focus on the story mm-hmm. Um and when when that came together, I think we had a really good output. Uh, but all said and told, it was six months probably from start to finish. Wow. Yeah. So um, it's a testament to not putting an idea down, um, but also making several attempts at an idea, even though the first idea probably wasn't wasn't sticking. Um, being willing to kill an idea, uh, you know, we could have just shipped his first thing. Um, but I think he instinctually was right. It wasn't really singing in the way that uh, he probably imagined at the beginning. Um, so yeah, it was a very interesting timeline for the project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's an impressive piece and very unique in terms of how it works. I, I'm just inviting everybody just to check it out. We can spend like hours trying to explain it, but <laughs> <laughs> best to just experience <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, generally, you seem, at least in your big stories, and seem to invest a lot of like work also because you, well, you come up with a topic, then you often generate your own data sets, right? So for instance, for the, the wildly successful uh, women's pockets are inferior, piece i think you started to measure even like different genes and different uh, <laughs> clothes uh, to to find out exact sizes of women's pockets yeah uh that project was done by jan and amber on our team and again as a testament to the rubric that we have which is picking topics that are divisive um not that yeah, I mean, divisive in the sense of, yeah, well, well, there's, there's some debate happening, right, somewhere. Okay. Um, I don't know if the if it's maybe a one-sided debate, but I think Amber and Jan picked that topic because 
they saw that discussion happening on Twitter a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they saw maybe their friends lamenting this fact often. Yeah. Um, they found maybe they found themselves lamenting the fact. I don't know. Um, it's, it was really their their baby. Um, but yeah, they they thought this would be interesting and decided to run with it. Uh, they, I think the idea of going and measuring pockets was really novel. Um, the visual presentation of the story, I think, really sold it. Um, so the premise is around women's pockets are smaller than men's, and there's you need to read the article for the explanation of the historical explanation for this. Uh, but they went out and looked at similarly sized pants for men and women, women's uh, jeans, and just measure the pocket sizes for the front pockets and back pockets. And then the the article is really visualizing those dimensions. Um, there's a lot of support around the history of pockets. And um, one of the really clever things was they made this uh, graphic that you can click like an iPhone X and put it in each of the pockets. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's it nice. says like yeah. the percent of pockets that would fit an iPhone X or a wallet or a hand. Um, it was just really cleverly done. The tone was probably right. It wasn't taking itself too seriously. Uh it had this overall denim aesthetic, which was kind of nice. Um, but yeah, I think that that project kind of speaks to some of the more pop culture related things that we're doing, but has a little bit of an intersection with an important topic uh, that that maybe is in the edge of of social equality, but also being a little bit more on the lighter side. Uh, so, um, that said, I think the response was, was surprising for me. I, I, I don't think it was surprising for maybe Jan or Amber because they knew this was something <laughs> they knew that it's a big deal. <laughs> they, knew they, they knew that people were debating this and they were like, this right. is just like a bullet point in your argument of the millions of people who are debating this all the yeah. time. So, uh, <laughs> it was really cool to see that, that, that do well from a traffic standpoint and, um, when they meet people and they're like, oh my God, I loved your pockets project. It's just like they, this, this, this overwhelming sense of joy. Um, so if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, and, and yeah, just like one of my favorites from the past couple yeah. of years. And, and I love about like, as you say, it picks up like a lighthearted topic, be it divisive or not, but it's sort of a, also like a pop culture, popular topic, not something people usually treat science right? But they take it really serious. Like they, they you know, really say like, okay, let's find out and, and really go deep. And, and I think this, like being serious about the fun stuff, you know, is, is such a cool, <laughs> such a cool attitude in a way. And, and maybe yeah. one of the part of the, the pudding DNA to some degree, right? Yeah. Amber gave a talk recently. I don't know if she has or will make the slides public, but it was about this notion of fun data storytelling. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a lot of feelings about the idea of fun because the, the connotation is that, well, if it's fun, that means that there are serious things that are, and the serious things are important and the fun things are unimportant. Right. And, you know, yes, that is true. There is hard journalism and soft journalism. There, There's the, the human interest or... Um, I can't remember the name, but uh, from from your your newspaper section days. But mm-hmm. uh, there's the lighter things, right? Uh, I I do think there's a place for fun things, but I wouldn't call them fun. I would just say there are things there are there are place for cultural things. We mm-hmm. live in a culture. Um, I remember Pop culture, or yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I I mean people people undermine the, the the phrase pop culture a lot. You know, they, yeah. they kind of sneer at it. Yeah, but, true. I remember this this Twitter thread where this guy was lamenting the fact that Ariana Grande was on the front page of BuzzFeed News, and they were like, "How can Ariana Grande be on the front page of BuzzFeed News? Like, we're not People Magazine here." And then someone oh like quickly retorted, "Like, why is this important role model in music and for for a lot of women being undermined? Why is it why is it not appropriate to say that this we live in a culture we talk about Ariana Grande a lot? Ariana Grande means a lot for a lot of people, and to deny." Yeah that aspect 
um, just because there are more important things happening, kind of ignores the reality of like, look, like we spend a lot of time in our world talking about Ariana Grande if we like it or not. Um, yeah. Yes, there's a role for things around climate change or uh, some of the other important polit- political things happening in the moment, but you know we need Ariana Grande to to, to balance that out as well. So that's that's often where my head's at when these topics arise. Yeah, and if you look hard enough in any topic of human interest, you you can find a human story that tells you something about people that is interesting, you know, or like yeah, as you say, culture or differences or whatnot. So it's just a matter of perspective. Yeah. In my view. Anyways, lots of projects. Check out pudding.cool, best URL. Um, I also love the population mountains. I don't think we'll go deep in there because I think this is a whole PhD in, in, map, in map boxing. Technically, I'm super curious, but it's really well done. And there's there's a lot of work behind it, uh, clearly. So if you haven't seen that, but check it out as well. Uh, but I'd like to move on actually and talk about generally a bit more um you touched on it a bit already like how is the process is there a typical process that you follow um what is the team size how long does it take from conception to realization of ideas can you tell us a bit behind the scenes stuff the juicy yeah. stuff of course as well yeah <laughs> yeah i uh, i don't think it's that dissimilar from probably what you'd find in a typical newsroom um i will say that the best metaphor for our process is probably similar to making a movie mm-hmm. um, where there's there's kind of like a development phase. Think of your, every movie probably starts with a, an idea on, an, on a napkin, right? And that's often a lot of the way our, our articles start too is, you know, this. The, let's go back to the pockets idea that, you know, this is something they're like, oh, we should definitely do a thing on pockets. <laughs> and that's your back of the napkin idea. Um, but after you have that that first genesis of an idea, you you need to write a script, right? Like, who are your characters? How long is it? Hmm. Um, where does it take place? Uh, and that's really what we call an exploration phase, where we try to scope this project out. Mm-hmm. Um, Looking at this the makes data sense. as well, probably, that would be available. Yeah, like, do you even have data? Right. Um, <laughs> like, can you find all the pants brands in your local area, right? Um, what would it take to measure them? How long would it take? Uh, and uh, do you need to measure a thousand or a hundred? Like, what are, what's the right. scope of this effort? Um, and that's really important because eventually you're going to have to go out and film the movie, right? Hmm. And you don't want to film your movie without having a really good script. Right. So... Uh, that exploration phase is really, really important to how we work. Mm. How, how long do you spend, and how off? Like, how many exploration phases do you like afterwards? You say, ah, probably not a project after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I just want to mention that all of this is on our GitHub uh, wiki. So if you go to GitHub.com/slash/the-pudding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find our process and awesome. literally everything yeah. the, everything we do internally from an That's operations great. perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the exploration phase will maybe involve a week mm-hmm. or a few days. It might take a lot longer if it's a very data-intensive right. project. Uh, I, I think the comedy piece that we were talking about went through a few exploration phases of trying to shape an idea into something that we we thought was good basically another script and you know sometimes that script wasn't good and we get we threw it away uh so we kill scripts we kill projects in exploration phase um quite a bit and that's good because that means we didn't make a, a bad movie <laughs> we didn't go yeah. and code and design and and produce something that really just didn't make sense from a story mm. perspective. And, and how do you yeah, decide yeah. that? Let's say so somebody has the idea, let's do something about pockets, try out something, like do you de- debate it in a group or is there, do they talk to you or like how, who, who makes the decision to, to run with it or not? Yeah, there's a bit of structure involved and a lot of trust. So uh, one of the first elements of structure that we have is kind of a group back of the napkin pitching session Mm -hmm. and we call that story time where you have one person for an hour kind of running through some back of the napkin ideas that they have and hey i'm thinking about doing a thing on pockets here's a history of pockets here's some few examples of people on twitter talking about this uh i think it's really interesting it'd be really 
compelling to uh, visualize this in some way. So that's probably the extent of what they're saying during this session. Mm -hmm. And then the group, our team, which is uh, between six and nine people, depending on whether we have interns, uh, will ask questions and react to that idea and say, have you considered uh, that pocket sizes might change based on how <laughs> how tall you are. I don't know. Like they'll they'll ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll react to it and they'll say, "Oh, this this idea, I don't really get it, but you're really excited and I'm excited for you." Or they'll be like, "I love this. Um I think you should consider making this like a long scrolly telling experience." I don't know. But they'll they'll give as much candid reactions as as they prefer. And then it's up to the author to decide like, "Hey, based on this initial feedback, um, there seems to be a lot of excitement here. Uh, I'm going to move this into exploration phase. And they might they might have only negative feedback and still make that call. We're trusting the author to use their judgment and just take the group's uh, reactions as input. Once they decide to go into exploration phase, there are a lot of boxes to check. Uh, validating that there's data, scoping out the story, deciding like uh, how you would be involved or how other people would be involved. Uh, technically, we have the group greenlight a project, um, but we've never not greenlit a project. Uh, we've always trusted authors to just to like know whether they have a good script, mm-hmm. um, know that they have what they need to not start producing a story that might fall apart during production, mm-hmm. um, that they've looked for the data and they know that it's it's valid. And it's really all on the author to move it through that exploration phase. Mm-hmm. Um, there is technically like a no button, like a stop button, <laughs> but I don't think we've ever, we've ever used it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, no one's been like, yeah, this, this is a really bad idea. You shouldn't do this. Like right, we, right. and that's good because I think left to my own devices, I might've maybe if, if let's say that was me, right? Like mm. I was the, the, the formal editor where I was like, oh, this, this idea sucks. Like. Mm. No one's going to read this. It's going to be a waste of your time. Well, like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm not the audience for the Pockets project. Right, right, and yeah, yeah. Why, who am I to, like, say your idea is bad? Mm. Um, this is totally different from a contributor standpoint. Like, we have people pitch us stories all the time. We think they're either amazing or they need work. Mm. But we have a posture of trusting the internal team. And if you fail, at least you've learned from it. Um, but we, if, if you're excited, we're excited generally. Right. Um, but it's your job to solicit feedback from the team. Like you shouldn't be scared of their reactions. You're using those reactions to shape your article and understand how a future audience would receive the project. Mm-hmm. So we we encourage you to go to that story time and to present it in a way where you're gauging how, it, how a future audience might react. And same thing after exploration, like you've scoped out your project, you know what you're making, share it with the team. Like, how do they react? Are they like, oh, this is a little water is wet? Or are they really excited to see this be filmed, uh, see the movie come out and see it published <laughs> on the internet? So yeah. we're, we're hoping that the author can um, learn from that experience and also develop a better uh a better sense of judgment for articles in the future as they as they get more more familiar with that process and mm. how people react to their work at different phases. But, but would you also say there's often like one main author that has like the big vision for the piece? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they're the person that's pulling it through story time and exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, in a similar way for the, the, the Ali Wong article, while Russell had story time and explored that um, in, in at least one cycle, I ended up coming back to him with a story pitch and saying like, here's, here's an idea. Mm. Here is the rough, the, the, the exploration of the idea. Like, here's how this would structurally come together. Um, and then he then saying, well, it, here's how we could execute this visually in a really compelling way. So he's, he's playing more role in the scoping process, but there is one author that is pulling the article through, uh, to production. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so so yes, the answer is yes. There has to be at least one person who's going to like say this is what the story is, and they might then go rely on other people to to produce it. You know, you you might not have the, even the skill set to produce your vision. Uh, you might need to 
bring on a graphic designer or a developer or a, even a data person to mm. scrape all the data that you need or to analyze all the data you need. So someone might be involved in more of the production roles, and we expect that. In fact, we encourage it. So uh, yes, there there is there is a a vision person throughout that entire process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seems like a great model to have like one one clear lead in terms of content, but then pull together the different competencies and also, as you say, get feedback at critical points from people who are sort of outside a bit your your current project bubble or <laughs> your, your general interest bubble <laughs> just to see what what flies and what doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, feedback is really really important. Um, we're still trying to get better at it. And we, I, I at least relied a lot on this book called Creativity Inc., mm -hmm. which is mm. written by yeah. a former From founder Disney, at yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pixar. Uh, Pixar. And Good. they talk a lot about uh, how feedback worked at Pixar and um, how you develop candid feedback, which is probably what, what he, the author emphasizes is the most important thing. Um, yeah, you can get feedback from anybody, but are they giving <laughs> candidate feedback is another thing. So there's, there's a training, there's a cultural training mechanism of how do you elicit candid feedback from a group? Um, so how do you get people comfortable giving candid feedback? How is the candid feedback not just coming from the highest paid person in the room, but like everyone? Hmm. And then also how do you train authors to take candid feedback? And I think that's that's definitely something everyone struggles with is how do you process feedback? How do you create an environment for feedback? How do you show up to a meeting where you know you want feedback and you don't recoil when people say something candidly yeah, about your project? Yeah, yeah. But I spent and, weeks yeah. on but this. But it's crucial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I spent weeks on this. Yeah, but that's yeah. also the thing is like we're we're structuring these feedback sessions yeah. in a way that they're useful. Mm -hmm. uh, the story time feedback is giving you feedback at the early point of an idea. The exploration feedback is giving you feedback before you've coded or designed everything, anything. Mm, and then we have yeah. another feedback session that is while you're, you're producing. So think of it as like a screening of your movie and you're perhaps only able to implement like some scene cha scene changes, like moving around scenes. Like you can't refilm a scene. You can't recode a graph. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. We also need you to show up and say like, okay, I understand I've made the entire article, but I've also given you an opportunity to voice uh, high-level feedback a lot earlier, mm -hmm. right? And like, yes, you can tell me that <laughs> you should have done like shoes instead of pockets, but like at the 90% <laughs> mark of a project, like that just isn't helpful, right? right so it's right. also on the audience to understand what is the author even capable mm. What's helpful at this given point in time at all? Yeah, yeah. like you definitely should not be <laughs> telling them anything <laughs> about like new charts. Like yeah. you should have said that way earlier. Right. The author should have given you the opportunity. There should have been a feedback session for you to talk about pie in the sky chart ideas. Like at, at the 90% mark, like maybe you can adjust the title and maybe you can adjust some of the, the framing and prose. Maybe you can adjust colors, but there's not really a lot to that, a lot on the table. Um, and it's also up to the author to like say, to scope the feedback session to say, okay, I only want feedback on whether the background's blue or black. And the audience hopefully is holding their tongue and not giving them unconstructive <laughs> feedback, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, yes, these are all important things. Yeah, no, that, that, that's super interesting. In, in a way, it's... Uh, I, I, what I really like of the way you guys work is that you, you have a system, you seem to have a system for everything, and especially being able to to understand at the beginning of a project whether something should, one should commit on something or not, I think it's crucial. In a way, it's similar for us in, uh, like, it's very similar in my lab. We spend a lot of time deciding whether it's it makes sense to commit on something or, or not. Um, so I just wanted to move on a little bit on, I think what is really interesting about the pudding, other than, of course, the stunning visuals, the great content and the editorial, aspects of it. I think what 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 is really interesting is also the business side of how the pudding works. So I was wondering if you could a little bit explain how the pudding is organized from the from the business point of view. Yeah, I think we touched on that a little bit at the beginning. Um as I mentioned, we're we're essentially doing that uh we're doing what we do on the pudding for other companies. Um it's 
it's probably the highest margin business model out there for media companies. We talked about Gimlet. Um, it's why they do it. Although they were just bought by Spotify, so they're going to probably stop doing that. Uh, but the the idea is that we're drafting similar articles for other companies. So if you want to hire the, the, the pudding team, effectively just reach <laughs> out to me and we'll see if it makes sense. Uh, but the the idea is that we're we're juggling our editorial responsibilities as well as um, some studio responsibilities for for an article. Um, I think we consciously very early decided to focus on external visual journalism. So we wouldn't do dashboard work. We wouldn't do internal presentations. We wouldn't do internal graphs. Uh, it has to be a a visual external manifestation so someone on the internet can see it mm. uh, so that's that's we, mm -hmm. we made a call to not do anything else i think it's helped out a lot because it means we're we're basically juggling the same thing um editorial and as i mentioned we 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 keep people at least 50 to 100 percent on editorial uh at any given moment and the you you might have one of these sponsored pieces so the equivalent of like gimlet making their a podcast for microsoft um there might be you you will likely at some point during the year be juggling one of those types of things uh so our team of again six to nine uh are throughout the year juggling those things we don't have dedicated people um which is also atypical if you go to like a gimlet again you know, they have an entire team dedicated to producing those Microsoft and Whole Foods right. podcasts, and yeah. Yeah. the other people do reply all, and, mm, and they do sure. their they do only editorial, and there's yeah. a clear divide between those two. Uh, mm -hmm. We ha at the moment combine them, and that's been a strategic decision, and it's something that we talk about a lot, and in, in, in the notion of testing maybe a dedicated person to only doing polygraph work. Mm, uh, sure that's still a conversation we're having, um, whether that will make sense from a business perspective and what that will even mean from a cultural perspective, right? So uh, what is the dynamic when you have like uh, the Gimlet studio and the Gimlet for real, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. and how do those people look at each other? And what does that mean for team Yeah, exactly. For I, team I sort cohesion? of like that it's, it's the same the same team. It's, it seems like yeah. a great, uh, great setup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I mean, for and you now, have a number of people who work full time for for the pudding, or I think you also have a structure for some freelancers to join your team. Yeah, for some projects, how does this work? Yeah, so there's six people full time on payroll, and uh, from a freelance perspective, uh, I would say the most typical manifestation of that is on contributor projects. So uh, we solicit pitches a lot. Um, we want to publish often enough that we have something maybe every other week, every week, uh, publishing on the pudding. Um, our team, full time, the full-time team of six, only doing editorial uh, might make that possible, but because we have to keep the lights on and, and juggle these these studio projects every so often, uh, we 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 bring in freelancers, essentially contributors, to work with us to write editorial, and uh, that can take a couple manifestations. One is they come to us with a pitch. They say, "Hey, I really want to do an article about." Um, this is actually very specific. Uh, someone came to us, uh, Martin Lambrex, who I think you had on your show at some point. Mm, yeah, um, he came to us. Graphics. Yes. Yep. So he came to us with an idea around uh, how EU funding works, European Union funding works. And what we did was we uh, would say, hey, this is a great idea and here's some money to make this worth it. I think our our starting rate for a full project end to end, you're doing all the design and the code and it's roughly the same scope as a typical pudding essay would be $5,000 minimum. Mm. Um, and then we ramp up and down depending on scope. So we're now testing like this notion of smaller projects uh, where maybe they're not like a full visual essay. They're more of like a, a mini project. Um, but we're also ramping up and saying, okay, you're actually going to be spending more than a typical 
effort on this, so it might, it might involve more money. Um, but we'll pay them, and then we're there to be an editor to take you through the pudding process to help out in design and code and maybe gut check your data. So we're basically in the trenches with you, but you know, you're on the hook for doing a lot of the, the work. Suppose maybe you're only a designer or in a writer, but you don't have any development work. Maybe that rate shifts and we take on more of the development work. Um, so that's been one model. Uh, we also publish our entire backlog on our on the website. So if you all those ideas that we story time, um, those back of the napkin ideas we we put on our about page. So if you go to pudding.cool, it's our domain, and then slash about, uh, you'll find a link to our backlog under the pitch section. And that has I don't know how long it is now, maybe 50 ideas that we've story-timed. <laughs> um, we just haven't gotten to. And yeah. you can take them and make them on your own. We're not going to sue you or anything. Words uh, maybe say long, <laughs> longevity of dance fads. Yeah, uh, there you dynamics go. Dynamics of career paths, rise of silence. Yeah. This is all like, how, what is flossing? Uh, here we go. What is yeah. flossing? Yeah. Flossing <laughs> is not a dental habit. It's a, <laughs> it's a dance. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, if you have kids, you definitely know. My, yeah, uh, my kids are, yeah, are really they, good at doing it. Yeah. They're very good at, at doing it. Yeah. Older people do not know how to floss. Um, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. Exactly. Yeah, different era. So, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. So all, all, yeah. There you go. Like the generational. We actually. I think the idea was like depending on how old you are. Like when you hear flossing, what do you think of? Mm -hmm. And what That's is awesome. the threshold for you default to dance versus? you know, a dental floss. But, but anyway, I mean, who knows if that's an idea or not? We haven't really explored it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you can take that idea and put it on your blog or pitch it to 538. Like, again, we're not going to be uh, precious about those things. That's why we're putting them on, online publicly. Um, but also you can pitch them back to us and say like, hey, this is a really cool idea. I've explored it. I found the data. I validated it. I want to do a stepper like the Ali Wong piece where you're just tapping through the whole thing I don't know but you're you're basing exploring it and and then pitching it back to us and then if it looks good we'll we'll green light it um, and move to that similar contributor model I mentioned before um, so those are like generally the two paths that that we've done to get involved with the pudding yeah that's Very awesome I, yeah. I love all these you seem to have really interesting ideas about how to collaborate and how to keep it open but also define a style and, and structure around what you do. So that's, that's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And maybe we should conclude by, um, maybe you can tell our listeners how to get involved if they want to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there's, there's like a few things, <laughs> a few plugs I'll make. So one <laughs> is definitely if you have an article you're working on and it's a visual story, um, don't hesitate to pitch it to us. Uh, you, if you're if you're curious, like what a good pitch would look like, uh, just go to our about page in the pitch section, and you can kind of see like it will basically give you a template that might remove a little bit of the I don't know how the pitch should look type of feeling, and uh, we'll definitely get back to you and at least give you some advice on how you might approach the project, or at least just look at the ideas that we have and see if anything uh, is intriguing to you from a topic standpoint. Um, we do have a Patreon as well, similar to Data Stories. Oh, yeah. uh, I mentioned all of the, the client stuff, but uh, we are imagining what a world would look like where we're only doing editorial and the lights are kept on by the the Patreon or yeah, like this ads. this should be possible. Where, I think this should be possible. We need to work should, on that, should. right? Yeah. I don't know if it ever will be completely, yeah. but... Um, I imagine there's a world where absolutely. it's a better split. I'm a supporter. I'm a supporter. You should be too, dear listeners. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, and right now, the money basically just goes to pay freelancer projects. Um, we, you know, a lot of media entities will pay very, very little. Um, I think $5,000 while low for a typical developer rate for an article um, is actually high for an editorial outlet, oh, yeah. uh, which often is in the on, definitely in the hundreds of dollars. So but that's not to say like, I, I think both of those numbers still are under your typical hourly rate doing these projects. But I was um, about to say, yeah. and you get a lot of exposure, <laughs> but in this case, it's actually true. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not going to say like, and you'll be internet famous because who knows, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
but you do get to work with us and, and yeah. kind of go through the I trenches mean, of editorial. Like itself, and, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so we do have a Patreon. Um, you get stickers. If you do $10 or more, you get a tote or t-shirt, which is pretty cool. Uh, and we have some fun data visualization templates of mugs or totes or t-shirts uh, that, that show your your love for the the domain and uh and yeah those are those are the two things um i love so yeah, the bag you, yeah. i want one there you go <laughs> uh you can have a bag with cool data viz people people's names on it in a very like helvetica-esque font it's uh it's pretty fun <laughs> it's very stylish i like that one yeah jan designed it uh she's our <laughs> resident fashion expert so <laughs> well perfect well, thanks so much, Matt, for coming on the show again. Will you I come back in gonna, three years? Yeah, we're going <laughs> to have you again in a few years and see what happened in, in the meantime. Wonderful. I'm really glad to be back, and it's crazy how long it's been. I have to say a little bit of a back of the, like behind the curtains, when we spoke the other day, you said the first time I came to the show, I didn't have any idea who you were and what data visualization was as a community. <laughs> Yeah, full circle now. I'm like, oh yeah, data stories and Rico. Like, of course we'll talk. Like, we're internet friends, but you know, it's different. It's very weird now. I, I need to go back and listen to the first one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye bye. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash data stories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash data stories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash data stories podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.